Era podcast. Research matters. Over the last few weeks and months, the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the way we live, work, research, teach and learn. This series explores the impact of the pandemic on our members and on the field of educational research. Hi and welcome. I'm Alison Fox, one of the co-conveners of the Bureau Research Methodology and Education Special Interest Group. And I'm here with my co-convener, Carmel Capewell. And we're going to reflect on the way the COVID-19 pandemic has affected researcher decision-making during their data collection. Whilst there have been challenges for those who've planned to interview and observe people in face-to-face -face settings, there have also been opportunities. And we're going to illustrate this through reference to some articles and recent Vera blog posts in which researchers have been reflecting on these issues. So Carmel, shall we start with talking about what became not possible and how researchers might have responded to that? We certainly can. I think the first thing that most of us experienced was most universities were saying no face-to-face -face interviews. There were options for uh, phone call interviews, online conferencing interview, or not to interview at all at this time as the lives of interviews have changed so much. Um, recently, I've been reading an article by Sharon Ravitch, I think we've referred to it, in which she talks about the increased range of commitments for participants. And although her article set in the US context, there have been plenty of conversations in the UK about the demands on people, not only supervising children's homework and their needs. Uh, for example, there was a Skype journalist who was rudely interrupted by her son who said, can I have a biscuit? When she responded as quickly as she did, he went for two biscuits until she managed to get rid of him. Or the professor who was talking as his cat's walking across the keyboard. So I think we've all experienced that. But I think the really important thing is to think about the topic, the type of data needed, and the existing relationships with participants and their access to technology, especially if we're talking about recording, the duty of care to participants to ensure that the new arrangements are reasonable in changed circumstances and the need to gain fresh ethical clearance if there has been quite a dramatic change. And again, going back to the Ravitch article, she talks about the need to pivot in terms of taking the same topic, but either taking a fresh approach, which includes relating things to the COVID-19 experience, or perhaps changing the participant group. Yeah, so the decision making really has involved a number of things, hasn't it? As you say, reflecting on the sort of methodological intentions, your positionality as a researcher, your worldview, as you were just talking about, and how to keep that intact in how you move forward reviewing your ethical promises, and as you were just saying about ethics, being prepared to go back and revising with, with new arrangements, having arranged them locally and, and ensure that everybody locally is comfortable and, and appropriate with the new situation and your new proposals, going back to people and, and explaining how you, you'll need to promise them different things and, and, and how that might work out. But also, as you say, thinking pragmatically about what's possible and feasible and, as you say, not throwing away new opportunities but sort of really, I guess, sort of renegotiating and consulting and, and weighing up the pros and cons to make sure that you don't move on sort of just quickly, swiftly and in a knee jerk as, and, and naively. As you say, there's been some really good guidance emerging. One of the things I've engaged with is the Envivo community set of um, online seminars that came out really quite early in the lockdown. They'll all be made available. And then the National Centre for Research Methods. And then, of course, our own higher education institutions have been 
very good at producing different sorts of recorded uh, resources, webinars, places to go and, and hear about researcher decision making. So what about those researchers, Carmel, who plan to observe face-to-face -face context if we sort of focus on observation, such as in schools, youth groups and colleges? What do you think we can say about that? So one of the further complications for regarding educational settings themselves has been that they have been, for the greater part, physically closed down as physical spaces. There are some people who have been going in, but for the majority of learners and educational leadership practices have changed. So this offers a new opportunity for researchers interested in studying aspects of teaching and learning. And certainly some of our master's students have renegotiated with their colleagues and gained new ethical approval to study online teaching in action. However, this isn't straightforward as colleagues aren't necessarily as confident to be observed in these new online settings. Uh, where they're new to them and schools set down limits to how students could engage for data protection and safeguarding issues. Anna Robbs in her Bira blog post of the 10th of June points to Bira's ethical advice to practice ongoing consent and how bricolage is a useful methodological approach which puts the centre stage the interrelationships between researcher, participant and the context. Another example from the Ravitch article related to a researcher who was uh, in a high school principal and she was going to interview black girls about their experience of safety over a series of interviews at school during the school year. However, that all closed down. So she recognised that access to the students would be difficult, that her participants may not have access to the technology. So she went and thought about staying with her underlying theoretical perspective and using the literature she already had and turn to her colleagues about what policies and procedures and monitoring they put in place to help the safety of the girls. And I think that's those sorts of things that have been popping up in the Bira blogs. So how they, they've been using the, the Bira blog to post some things to bring to our attention, some of the assumptions that have been challenged by lockdown and which need to be examined through educational research. So again, looking for opportunities. For example, there are those who've identified particular learners. So Emma Derbyshire's post, for example, about the challenges for dyslexic students as schooling has moved online and into different sort of home learning settings, hers was on the 26th of June. And then Tony Breslin and Ruth Lupton and colleagues made posts in May which focused on the experiences of those who would have taken examinations this summer and the situation that they found themselves and, and what educational research would be worthwhile doing on behalf of those um, learners around this time. Then there are those who focus on particular aspects of the curriculum, such as Joshua Hayes's call on the 16th of June, that sexuality education needs particular attention. He was talking particularly about um, the fact that a, a lot of the, the sexual um, health, uh, sexuality, identity discussions in primary schools often happen in the summer term as a lot of the older students trans transfer and transition from their primary setting to their secondary setting. So he's drawing our attention to a need to not let that aspect of the curriculum slip because children weren't, weren't in school. Yeah, and I think there's certainly evidence of researchers looking for opportunities to collect data in new ways during the pandemic. For example, by finding ways to give children a voice about their experiences. Amber Feshman Smith's blog post of the 6th of May talks about how she used a photo voice approach 
and Liz Chamberlain's post on the 7th of May focused on collecting evidence of children's found writing and art appearing in windows, gardens, pavements, and challenging how much voice this was actually giving to children or how appropriated the artefacts were by adults so that the children were creating these things. Locally, there's a snake that's appeared and suddenly the the parents are pushing the children to create and add to the snake. So I think there is this balance between what do the children actually say, which is what Frenchman Smith and, and Chamberlain are saying, and what's being appropriated by adults. So, Connor, what, what do you think we can say in summary about research decision making as a, as a result of COVID-19? I think one is that there needs to be this ongoing consent based on knowledge of one another's needs and preferences. We know that all of our lives have changed. The way we go to work has changed. And even though the original plan may not be available, I think it's important to maintain that theoretical underpinning of the research, if at all possible. Related to that sort of placing well-being um, sort of high in our priorities made me think about the new researcher well-being section that was added to the latest edition of Bioethical Guidance. So the fourth edition in 2018 has this new section where you're not just thinking about um, the, the well-being and the care, the duty of care you have to the participants and other stakeholders in your project, but also to, to think about your own um, well-being and, and making sure that other people are, are looking after you as a researcher. And I think um, re remembering that our research is part of our lives as, as much as what we're researching is, is part of, as, as you've been pointing out with some really good examples of how we're, we're now researching much more personally in people's lives. It, it's, it's also the same for us as researchers. Uh, another point of contact to consult and, and get guidance for is, is to look at the Vera Ethical Guidance. It's really important this need to consult. Don't assume anything and gaining support for that decision making that although the researcher might think, oh, this is a good idea, I'd like to try this, perhaps the participants aren't quite as keen, aren't as confident, whatever. So as ever, that respect for participants is so important. And to remember that there's Vera blogs, there's the Vera ethical guidelines, and there are opportunities for thinking about those issues without going and thinking all is lost. We really hope that you who are listening to this podcast have been able to adapt your research to the current situation if, if that's affected you and found that a sort of enabling and empowering um, opportunity. We're really looking forward to a set of events between the 3rd and the 23rd of August looking at the ongoing needs of practitioner research for research support and through a series of recorded and live webinars to keynotes culminating in a plenary event on the 23rd of August called the Principles into Practice series. So do have a look on the Beer Events website and the upcoming events for registration details for those activities. The other event that we're looking at running is the talking in talking about research remotely. So we're sharing ideas and I think that is something that I as a researcher have really missed is that opportunity to talk to others, to network. And I think that's been the real benefit of some of the BIRA events that have been put on and that certainly we're hoping that the opportunity to listen in your own time to the recorded presentations as part of our research principles into practice event, that people will then have an opportunity to contribute. 
Great to talk to you again, Carmel. And yes, I'd forgotten about the, the event in October. It's called uh, Walk and Talk at a Distance. And it's an event where um, people are going to engage through WhatsApp groups and uh, engage where they are and then come together in the plenary. So we're trying to find different ways to connect with one another to discuss research methodology and education. That's, that's our, our SIGS remit. Thanks for listening to the Bureau Podcast. For the latest news on Bira events and activities, visit www.bira.ac.uk. Bira membership starts from only £50. We offer competitively priced membership fees for those in academia, as well as discounted memberships for students and teachers. Visit our website for more details.